Hi, this is Jesse, and welcome to Red Cloaks Radio. This is a special hand-to-hand made edition. Um, joining me today's co-host is Martha from Boston Red Cloaks. And we're really excited to welcome you, Kelly, all the way from Maryland. Hi, first. Hi. Um, Hi, Kelly. We're so excited. So you're with Mayday Underground. And let's start there, and then we'll talk a little bit about what's going on right now in our lives. So tell us a little bit about how you got started. I think like a lot of you, I was absolutely devastated by the election of Donald Trump. And I was looking for creative outlets for my rage. I needed something to do with it. I needed to channel it. And I saw um, some images uh, on the news of, of, I believe it's uh, the Georgia Handmaids who were um, using the cloaks and and it struck a chord with me. Uh, Margaret Atwood's book for me was just a pivotal moment reading that as a teenager. I really, um, it was a, it was a, a key moment in my feminist awakening. So it immediately resonated with me and I thought, I can do this. And I'm a veteran of street theater activism for a very long time, so this was a natural fit. So I got myself a costume and at first it was just me. And I went out and I stopped through the Senate hallways and I sat in front of Mitch McConnell's office and prayed for him. Um, (laughs) Freaked out a lot of people, it was great. Um, And then during the Kavanaugh hearings, I went out, uh, you know, again, I was so angry. So I went out with a sign that said, you thought we were angry before. And a lot of folks took my picture. One of them happened to be from Vogue. So they put it up on their Instagram page and, you know, it got a lot of attention. And that's kind of what attracted um, my friends to, to this work with me. So I started the May Day Underground as a place to try to um, to organize folks who were feeling the same as I was. It's so awesome. Oh. I mean, we've seen the photographs. The photographs really resonate across state lines, which is amazing. You said you were an activist before, or this started your activism? Oh, I've been an activist all my life. Um, I, I confess, I grew up in California, and my parents are... are solid liberals and uh so i've been out marching for as long as i can remember but this was for me i think a really um, uh, it was it was a very empowering move and i think you know exactly what i mean but when you put on this costume it is it resonates with people in ways that other things don't i mean i can stand out there all day in my street clothes with a sign and maybe someone reads it and maybe they respond to it but but this costume just gets visceral reactions from people when they see it. And I think that's why those photographs have spread so far and why other folks are responding the way that they are when you work. And I, I have to say, I have admired your group for quite a while now. I became aware of you when I started to look at other groups that were doing what I'm doing. And I thought, wow, I know you guys are really out there at the forefront and, and you're using this um, this powerful imagery in a way that, that I think is really exciting to see. The so would you say, yeah, we're so excited. Would you say that you have had, you have had more positive reactions than negative? 
Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I and I, I have to say that I know you know we we've been talking to some some of our, our sister activists in other states where it's very different. But um, I'm fortunate that I live in in Maryland, which is a, a very liberal state, and in the District of Columbia, which is also generally speaking, despite its uh, its reputation, is actually a very liberal place. So um, I've had very positive reactions. Um, you know, there are occasionally folks who who will make comments as they go by, and you know, so what. Uh, but I think most folks in DC are used to all kinds of protesters being out all the time. So it isn't unusual to see that. So I'm fortunate that I can sort of walk into a, um, you know, a, a place that is equipped to handle all manner of protest. And, you know, the, the Capitol Police are very well trained. So all of our government buildings are, are guarded by people who know what this means when folks show up and they're very polite about it. They're like, if you, if you don't want to get arrested, stand over here. If you do, stand over here. You know, they're very, they're very polite about it. Uh, so, you know, I've never had any, you know, um, trouble in the way that some of our, our sisters in other states have had. I mean, I, you know, there are certainly people who don't agree with it or question it and um, you know I'm sure you guys get that too. It's so interesting we've never really talked to anyone about the specific pieces of the outfit and something about the way you said it made me think that it's it's worth unpacking for people who are listening and haven't actually done the protest because you were describing how it feels to put it on and I'd love to hear your own thoughts like when you put on the cloak what comes to your mind? Yeah so you know it's interesting because I, I um, it's almost like putting on a shador, you know, that you are, you're covering your, your body, you're hiding your shape, you put the, the wings on and it hides your face. And actually now that we wear masks, I mean, there's very little of me visible. And I love it. It is so liberating um, to be completely hidden. And I know that's a strange thing to say, but it feels um, as so powerful to say, no one can even see the shape of my body. That is no longer a factor. Um, my hair, there's no makeup, there's nothing that is interfering. It's just me and my, my expression. So I actually have really enjoyed wearing the costume because it erases my identity. And, and I think for the very reason it's such a frightening costume, I think that gives the activist the power. It's really true, and I think it's so interesting that when you, when you, I don't ever wear skirts. For me, a big hang-up is, I love the cloak. Cloak, great. The skirt, oh, the skirt makes me crazy because when we're going up and down stairs, I have to really think about it. So I know at least once per outing, I will think about what it meant for women who didn't have a choice to wear pants. It's such a small little thing, but even in the 70s, there was this yeah. frequent expectation that in professional attire, men would wear pants and women wear, wear skirts. And I think how far we've come in options, even just in those, you know, recent decades, never mind yeah. the first time women wore bloomers and were criticized for that. Yeah. And I, I think clothing is such a powerful symbol. And I know that's what the Vogue picked up on and is the use of clothing just as a political signifier. I think the, the choices we make in our attire really do say a lot to the world and for good or bad. I, you know, I, it's, I think for some of the reasons that you're suggesting, there are, there are some expectations that we have to fight against. But um, I, I am someone who enjoys wearing dresses, so it didn't bother me. I, I 
in fact, what, what was interesting is when I was searching for a red gown, I looked online for modest dresses and I was finding a lot of attire that was designed for Muslim women. Uh, you know, where there's a large Muslim community in my area. And so I have a number of, of, of friends who wear hijab. And um, so it's interesting to, to look, but those were the clothes that I was finding that fit the need. And then the, the cape came after. <laughs> Well, so I think is one of the women in our group was buying her bonnet and she actually bought it from someone who was making them for Amish people. And the, the person who was making them was making them by hand individually and actually ultimately couldn't keep up with demand because there was so much demand yeah. from the handmade movement. Hey, look who just jumped in and joined us. Hello. Hi, I'm Laura. <laughs> Laura. Hi, Laura. We were just talking about the pieces of, of the outfit that we wear. That bonnet turned out to be very convenient when you're protesting because it's a sun shield. We've also yes. been out in the rain. True. It's like a rain uh -huh. hat. Agreed. Yeah, I've been out in the snow with it. It's been fine. Um, but what I like about it is is exactly what Margaret Atwood was talking about at, that made it so horrible, was that it's like blinders, right? Yeah. It, it not only hides your identity, but you can't see beyond what's right in front of you. It totally limits your view. And that is awkward sometimes going up and down stairs, for sure. Um, but it, I, I also find that really powerful. You know, these giant bonnets, um, they stand out and it is a distinctive look. So I, I think it attracts attention and that, that red and white really does catch, um, catch the eye. There's just no way to ignore it. Well, there's, it's almost inhuman looking, right? Yeah. Because it yeah. makes your head look big and you've got this big cloak on and it, I don't know, I feel like a, a monster in that suit sometimes. Me, on the other hand, I find it so beautiful. I, I even, I bought boots to match everything and I'm looking for things to make it. I'm always about beautiful. I'm always thinking about things to be pretty to the eye or aesthetically nice. I'm always uh, thinking that everything is clean. I see the, the other maidens with me and I see and I try them to be everything in place and not crooked and all that. So that's, uh, that's what makes us so different and get us together, you and me, Laura. And well, and also Jessie, because she, she was saying she doesn't like the skirts. I don't have an issue. I, I just see, see it as a, not as a costume, but another persona growing up and being in from another country makes me seeing all these things, all these experiences in a different way, I think. These outfits, when they're lined up together, this visual presence. I, I look at it as a, it's a visual medium. It's a visual protest that we're doing. So unlike some of the other things that, that we do, um, I don't even often have a sign when I go out. I think the, the outfit in, in some ways speaks for itself and especially when we're in numbers. Um, this protest that we did just last, uh, several days ago on Sunday um, out at the Supreme Court, um, I think, you know, we had 14 handmaids lined up in the uniform and 
there were no signs, um, not be, mostly because they won't allow us to carry signs up on the steps of the Supreme Court, but I don't think we needed them. And I don't think they, we missed them at all. Um, we just, it's a very powerful image to watch that line of women wearing identical costumes. And again, against those granite you know, columns, it's so striking. And when the photographer got around the other side of us and the Capitol's behind us, and I think he, they just got some great shots. Um, we were lucky that we had a really good photographer. Um, but, you know, that's the nice thing about being in DC is that we do have a lot of photography professionals around. So I've been privileged to be um, to be shot by a lot of really talented folks. Um, the guy who was shooting us this weekend uh, has a couple of Pulitzers and, you know, there's a, and, yeah. and, and being DC, there was a woman from the New York Times who happened to be walking by who knew him. So he waved her over and said, hey, you want to take a couple of pictures with me? So we're like, great. Uh, so so that's a privilege that we have. Where did those photos end up? This was the first time I'd even invited anyone to come and take my picture. And in the past, it's gone not just the Vogue folks, but, you know, I've been in newspapers around the world. And it's really interesting because the photographers find me. I go out there with, you know, wearing the, it, this outfit and it stands out. And if there are other protesters around, they still come and they, they want to take the picture. Those photographs, I think because they are so striking, can end up almost anywhere. So what um, the guy from the AP did and what the guys from Reuters do, um, and, and guys and girls, uh, is they they put them up on Shutterstock or uh, so they're available to, um, to editors around the world who are looking for print photos. Um, that's why we did our event on Sunday so that they would have those photos up. He had them up on Shutterstock by Sunday night, which meant that editors who were looking for copy for Monday morning could just pull them right off they ended up in newspapers all over the place so we were in you know from the LA Times to I think Al Jazeera had us on and there was a there were several European newspapers that had us and um, not even always in English and that's also the nice thing is we don't need a sign uh, you know this image speaks for itself yeah. uh, I just pulled one up this is yeah. you guys right yeah oh yeah yeah, yeah. I mean my it's, team it's just it's a stunning picture with the columns behind you and and maybe we can find a version that we can share as a thumbnail so that people who are listening can look at the same picture we're looking at, but it's, it's incredible. You are in primo location. Now it makes us obviously want to talk a little bit about this week because we would love yeah. to know what it's like uh -huh. on the ground being there. You know, we're watching on television, we're looking on Twitter for updates and we're, we're hearing what are being called confirmation hearings as opposed to nomination hearings. Today, the, um, the hearing part wrapped up. Well, that, yeah, I, I mean, I think, I, I, I wish I could tell you it was, it was any easier to be right here, but it's not. Um, we are looking on with horror and outside of the process like everybody else. And this is, it's a travesty of democracy to watch this go down. And we've been shut out of the hearings literally and figuratively in this case. Um, it's even worse than with Kavanaugh. Um, and that was infuriating for all the reasons that you know. This one is infuriating for even more. And, you know, to take this, this young woman, um, you know, she's 48, she's been a judge for three years. Um, she's a member of this radical sect that actually called themselves handmaids. I mean, I, I 
can't even imagine. And, you know, it, it fits right in with the Republican agenda to overturn Roe v. Wade. And I know they've been driving that, uh, you know, all of my life, uh, this struggle and yours as well. Um, and that's part of what brought my group together is that, you know, the, the Handmaid's protests are out in public. And this is a way for us to draw attention to the things that, that we see going on in the world. And it's that warning that, look, there is this dystopian world where women have no rights and they have lost all reproductive freedom and that it is coming true and in phases and faster and faster all the time. And Amy Coney Barrett is just, I mean, she's Serena Joy. She is the architect of this world. It's just amazing how close to truth Margaret Atwood wrote. I don't, you couldn't create this character and she did. And yet somehow she's willed it into existence and it's terrifying. But I think that is also, brought us together. And so for me, the comfort is that I found other sisters in the struggle and that my group has expanded and I finally got to meet you, the famous Boston Red Cloaks. I've been so excited about your work. Um, you know, I've gotten together with groups uh, around the Georgia group, send us extra costumes so we could do our protest on Sunday. That would not have been possible without uh, the Georgia Handmaid's Coalition and their generous donation of costumes. So all of this has, it has given me hope at least that that we as sisters in the struggle can can continue and regardless of what happens with the law we also know that we will continue to fight for each other and that we will help our sisters in other states where the struggle is much much harder i i'm very lucky that i'm in maryland and we have some of the um, most progressive laws in the country and i know that we will at some point become an import state and as other states are struggling for rights and their clinics are being closed, ours are not. And so I, I know that there are lots and lots of people here who are sympathetic to that and who would open their homes and their hearts to people who need. And I know that um, going forward, we'll stay in touch and we'll help each other. And we'll make sure that women have, uh, have their reproductive freedom one way or the other. Absolutely. So true, and it's that when you see, whenever I see your pictures, it's just, I don't know this woman yet. Well, I don't know this woman, but we think the same way about very core issues. It's an amazing signifier nationally, and really this opportunity to get to hear from different women who are doing similar work across the country is very helpful. And I'm, when you get to book two with the Testaments, there is a yes. way out. There is a way yes. out. And the way out is because women who have these strong, beliefs and are brave, to use Martha's word she always uses, and courageous work together. They find a way to collaborate. They, they work across state lines and they figure it out. And it takes time, but without that organizational structure, it's no hope. And once you find each other, suddenly there's hope. Suddenly there's synergy. And so, we have found each other and it's great. <laughs> it's it's, it's weird. Great. It's since, since we've met other um, uh, red cloaks or, or people that are just interested and passionate about this issue, I, I have felt almost safer, you know, knowing mm -hmm. that there are, you know, my sisters are out there and, and that, 
you know, if it gets darker outside, we will have each other and we yes. will keep up this fight. So it's good to yes, know you're will. out there, Kelly. <laughs> it's good to know you guys are out there too. And it's such a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for this time. Thank you so much for coming. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.